Hey guys, welcome back to the BCM and the AM podcast. It's your host, Zach Bingham, the campus missionary here at the BCM, and I'm joined with our fearless leader, Rodney Norville. Hey everybody. And we're joined again with special guest, Matt Paradis. Good morning, Hawkins. everybody. And we are so excited because we are jumping into a topic today about spiritual warfare. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like when <laughs> that when we say that, you never watch like... Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? And like they ask the oh, question, yeah, exactly. lights, intense music. Yeah. That's right. Cue intense music. That's right. right. I need to edit that in. Maybe <laughs> if copyright, I can't do that. Anyway, so why are we doing one on spiritual warfare? Well, the last episode we did was all who, what, when, where, how, why. Insert question here: prayer. And so that's what we tried to do: is make a, a big, encompassing podcast about prayer. And so Rodney said, "Why don't we do one on spiritual warfare?" Because we're talking about prayer, they just kind of go hand in hand at this point. So naturally, this is where we're landing in the next episode. And so firstly, we need to preface off the bat that this is not Hollywood spiritual warfare that we're talking about. We are not talking about the exorcist or left behind series. Matt's giving me weird looks. Yeah. Like, I'm saying I brought all my notes on Constantine. <laughs> so Dang it. <laughs> Marvel's Constantine. That's the way we're going to go this, yes. go this route. That's that's what we're going to do. Great. This is wonderful. Well, see you next time. We're closing it out now. <laughs> I'm thinking the problem is that we get most of our information about spiritual warfare from Hollywood yeah. instead yeah. of from the Bible. So yeah. that's part of our problem. Oh, I totally agree. And so we're trying to strictly stay to what the Bible says. We'll probably laugh a lot, but it's because we're see we've looked at what the Bible says about this stuff, and it's because everything else that we see in Hollywood and media is so out there. It's so left field. And the fact that Zach gave us this topic yesterday on the busiest week of the semester so far. Hey, it's spiritual warfare. We deal with. We're dealing with it. Anyway, <laughs> so we're trying to strictly stay to what the Bible says about it and what the leading experts on the topic say that the Bible says about it. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. No. Okay, cool. So what is spiritual warfare? Well, we're just starting there. <laughs> Where do you want me to start? <laughs> spiritual warfare. Uh, I think it depends on a lot of things. Uh, to say that spiritual warfare is, is one thing over there, I, I don't know if that covers to say, I would say spiritual warfare is something that wants to, well, two different things. This is really hard to define. Um, it is. Either spiritual warfare is the enemy coming against you to stop you doing from what God is telling you to do. Or I could also see spiritual warfare as a time of testing that God is allowing in your life to mold you and shape you into something that he wants you to be. Yeah. Originally, I just think of, you know, we in cosmic terms, the battle between good and evil. Mm. Biblically, we see that that really isn't a contest. God is so much yeah. greater, so much stronger. Good is so much, you know, it isn't yin and yang. It's actually God is so much bigger and stronger than evil, but he does have a place for it. And it is something that is there. So um, that's like what I immediately think of. But then when I really look at the Bible too, it's this whole concept of Satan is our tempter. Satan is the one who goes against what we want to do in following God. He's the one that um, tempts us. Uh, he tempted Adam and Eve with the first sin is kind of what it is. And so what it is many times is just the refusal of the temptation of rebellion against God. And so constantly trying to do the right thing over following that, you know, Satan and being led into something that is rebellious. 
Yeah. So it's like spiritual warfare. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it would be easier, as we're talking about Hollywood, to define what spiritual warfare is not. That seems like an Please. easier question. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Spiritual warfare is not the boogeyman behind every corner yeah. trying to scare you. It's not R.L. Stein's. Yeah, it's not that. It's not just fear. It's not... I'm going to get sick because I do stuff bad. It's all of these things that we attribute spiritual warfare. Really, the Bible doesn't say anything about that stuff. Spiritual warfare is is a tool used by the enemy, but allowed by God. And, and we see it. Yeah. it right. Man, Job is the the perfect book in the Bible sure. yeah. to see spiritual warfare. And we see it all over the place, but Job is an entire book about spiritual warfare. That, I think, first out of the gate, the enemy is not as powerful as we think he is. He's powerful. Right. But he's only as powerful as God lets him be. Yep. And I think we need to remember that God is sovereign and in control of every situation. And we may not understand it. We may not like it. But we live in a broken world where the enemy has as much leash as God wants to give him. And bad things are going to occur. And sometimes they're going to be purposeful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think God uses those moments too, which is why I think, you know, it is almost the whole idea that Satan is on a short leash Mm -hmm. Um, and he really has no power over God's children, Um, but he does have power in the world. I mean, actually that's one of his titles, you know, the prince of this world or the Mm -hmm. prince of darkness, you know what I mean? Like that whole uh, thing we see in scripture. So he is out and about and we get kind of our concepts of this battle between angels and demons and everything like that because of these scripture passages that are mentioned in scripture uh, related to fallen angels yeah. related to the the ones that rebelled that Satan led in a rebellion in heaven and they're out to kind of steal, kill and destroy um, using some New Testament there and then there's God who's offering us life who's offering us forgiveness from our rebellion and trying to get us to go on, on that path and so we see you know it is a little bit the whole you know comical devil on one shoulder and angel on the other, but they're not equal kind of things. You know, Satan and Jesus are not brothers or something like that. It is not that kind of thing, even though that's what we often think about. Yeah. We did a podcast on Mormonism and how they treat Satan and the devil as, as brothers. Right. And we're like, we had to kind of start tearing that apart to some extent. Uh, I think here, before we jump into the next question, I I would want us to touch on, because this is, we're, we're writing a fine line to talk about but not answer the question of, like, why does God let bad things happen? And I think that we have to, I would, just to quickly dabble into that, I would say we have to lean on Genesis fifty twenty where it says, you know, um, you purpose things for bad, but God made them to be good. Uh, that's a paraphrase. I didn't really quote that perfectly, but that's the gist of it. And also, we have to realize what the cross really was. I mean, it was the, you know, betrayal sentencing of an innocent man that was brutally beaten and then murdered but at the end of the day was that bad event not something that caused the most good that could ever happen at the end of the day so we live in this dichotomy this paradoxical relationship with the bible okay so moving on we talked a little bit about who our enemy is when we're talking about satan but let's talk about more encompassing who who is this or who is that, them, however you want to put it, whatever pronoun you want to put on it, I don't know. How does our enemy attack us? How do we respond? 
take this from any angle you want. You already mentioned the book of Job, and I mentioned um, really Genesis um, when Satan appears as a serpent, basically, and tempts the woman to go against what God has set out as a yeah. as a law. And um, so these are great illustrations to show us that Satan is alive and around, and his main job, it seems to be, is to cause people to rebel against God or to, to go against God or not to believe God fully. Um, and so that's our enemy really is that temptation that comes from him. Mm-hmm. But we also have to realize like a whole lot of things that we attribute to Satan are really just circumstances and consequences. Yeah. So, um, when we do bad things, usually bad things happen. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just consequences. That's True. consequences. You know, it is. And so like sometimes we, we blame a lot of things on spiritual warfare that are consequences for bad decisions, for poor decisions. Now the decision itself may have been led about by Satan because you were tempted to do something that was in rebellion against God. But yeah. I think a great scripture. I'm, a lot of my notes today come from Chuck Lawless, who's a professor at Southeastern yeah, Seminary. Good stuff. One of the main leading thinkers in spiritual warfare. So great resource, Dr. Chuck Lawless. But uh, he says, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, has our the, the three main enemies that I talked about. I just want to read this really quick. And it says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in our passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and whereby nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The three enemies that we have there, we have the world. The world's a broken place. Since Adam and Eve, the world was tainted by sin, and everything was affected by it. Everything's been touched by it. Um, even the question, it's unpopular to say, why do good things or why do bad things happen to good people? There are no good people. There's bad yeah. people and Jesus people. And that's a real misnomer when we start talking about that. But the world's broken and bad things occur. People get sick, people die, car accidents happen, cancer occurs, all this horrible stuff. Um, our flesh, we are some of the greatest enemies we have. <laughs> yeah. Your, yourself, every morning, I, I think it's so clear the scripture says, you have to die to yourself. You are one of your greatest enemies. Your desire to live your life. Yeah. And that, go, again, goes back to Adam and Eve. They desired something that was out of God's plan. They had a choice. Follow what God said or mm-hmm. follow what your desire says. And we are still battling the same thing. And then finally, the devil. Um, let's not fool ourselves and say that the devil doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. That's a huge trick the enemy wants to play on us, that he doesn't exist. Absolutely he exists. Absolutely his minions exist. Demons are real. Um, I don't think... I, I think we give them way too much credit. Yeah. You know? I, I don't think they're... Uh, at, they're not everywhere. They're not omnipresent. You know, they're, they are yeah. limited by where they go, how they go, and, and limited by God's leash, as, as we talked about before. But those three enemies, the world, our flesh, and the devil, that's who our enemy is. And, and we respond differently according to each one of those things yeah totally agree and i think that oftentimes we don't see how any of those like all those three could work together i think even just like what you said about how we can get really me centered and i mean to think about it we have to die to ourselves every day i mean i want to be about me at any given time that's my flesh and the world says you should be about you at any given time and that's the world and like if I'm playing into both of those, one of the 
best quotes that I read when I was looking at, at stuff about this was um, a guy named Sam Storms. He's a professor too. And he said that oftentimes it's our own self that'll light the match of whatever it is we're doing stupid. And then yeah. Satan will blow on it or pour gasoline yeah. on it to push you further. And I like that. I was like, that makes a lot more sense to me that that is something that's particularly going on. And I think we see that in a more practical way, like, oh, these three things working against me, even in one area, it's not like one's coming at me from this way. One's coming at me from this way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's we're, we're dumbing down the cleverness of the devil. I think if we think that we're yeah. getting split so often, as it's more of a pointed attack most of the time. Yeah. Um, I think C.S. Lewis has a really good quote on it where he says, you know, the greatest trick of the devil has been to either convince the majority of the population he right. doesn't exist mm-hmm. or to convince them that he's so power, powerful that they're completely powerless against him. Yeah. 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 I definitely think that's our modern uh, translation of, of life is yeah. oh, the devil doesn't really exist. And it's amazing to me, even when we do like surveys out on campus, how many people will believe in heaven? They like to believe in the good, but they'll say, but I don't really don't believe that there's a hell. I don't really believe mm-hmm. there's a place of mm-hmm. eternal punishment. And then you're kind of like, if you believe in one, you kind of believe in the other. So as we get into this talk, you know, we're talking about angels and demons. They're real, just as, as Matt said, very much so. But I think almost in spiritual warfare, a better picture may actually be a courtroom where you have an mm-hmm. a, a defense and then you have an, an accusation and accuser. Yep. And Satan is constantly trying to accuse us of everything that we really are guilty of. But our only defense is Jesus Christ. You know, our only defense is, is Jesus Christ. And so you see that over and over again, I think, played out in Scripture when it is this God's giving Satan the opportunity to tempt us or to accuse us and everything like that. And the defense that we have in that moment is Jesus. You know? Yeah. I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit, but I like talking about the defense in that because I don't, I don't want to just drop off at that mm-hmm. point. And how the New Testament talks about the, you may be tempted, but there's always a way out. For a believer in Jesus, there is always a way out. And he always provides for one. So you have to be eyes open and looking for one. I think that that is something I like. I mean, that's the beauty of salvation. That now you have this option to not do bad. (laughs) (laughs) You have this, that's the freedom in Christ. That you can live a different life than your natural self wants to do. And uh, I think that's, you know, I don't want to jump ahead either. But Ephesians 6 uh, the principalities and of the air. That's where we really want to go. That's yeah. really where yeah. we want to go. Um, but we got to remember in all of this, the enemy is already defeated. Mm-hmm. Right. The cross defeated sin and death. There, there is nothing that the enemy can eternally do to a believer. Yeah. And we are facing an enemy that is grasping at straws. And the fear that some people carry, I'm not saying it's not legitimate things that can happen because we all know legitimate spiritual warf- warfare stories, but if we can go into a battle already knowing yeah, we we're victorious, we won. Like yeah. you, you kind of walk in a little little taller than you would, <laughs> thinking this gigantic enemy cannot be defeated. Yeah, it, it, you're already he's already defeated. Yeah, and I think that's a that's something that we can claim in the in those battles. Yeah, or even this is a fair fight. It's like it's well, not even yeah. It's not there because we have Jesus. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there, it's not like there's going to be this epic battle at the end of time with Jesus and saying it, it, it's over. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think one thing we've got to, and, and Ephesians paints this picture so good, Ephesians 6, which is talking, you know, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. We have to remember all the time that people are not our enemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I feel like the yeah. church even thinks that lost people are their enemy. Lost people are not their enemy. Mm-hmm. Lost people are people that God intends to save, and he needs, yeah. the pe- he needs the people of the church to love them. And so it's too easy and really a ploy of Satan to have us turn on one another and to hate other people. Yeah. And that is not, we're supposed to hate the sin that is in other people or the, you know, the, the ideas that come from Satan that is in other people or the world and not hate one another. And that's a big thing to learn. And that's hard to do That's you know, that's really yeah. hard to do in our world. It was hard for the first church. Oh yeah. You know, it was hard for mm-hmm. the first church. It's hard for us still today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even when we're breaking down, because we're about to dive into a more um, heavy scriptural, like what does the Bible say about this particular topic section, and I think that it's really easy for us to lean a lot on the New Testament, because I think the New Testament really deals with a lot of this stuff, and Mm -hmm. it's like, how do you walk this out? Like, how do you deal with this? How do you process all this stuff? But I think that we we can't do that without really understanding some of the roots of the Old Testament and how they were dealing with it too. Mm-hmm. This didn't just like pop up out of nowhere because Jesus showed up and the devil's like, oh no, I better get moving, you know? <laughs> so what does the Old Testament say about about all this from, from different kind of stories, like, like one in particular about the Exodus story? Well, a beautiful thing about Exodus story, I think, is that when God was going to rescue his people from oppression, because they were being oppressed, they weren't allowed to worship God fully the way that they wanted to and everything like that. And God wanted them to have that ability to fully worship him. So he sent these plagues. Each of those plagues, if you study that, is against Egyptian gods, little g. You know, a lot of us would think, and I'm in this boat, a lot of us think that a lot of the gods that are around the world, little g gods, are actually demonic. Mm -hmm. Um, Hinduism has... 300 and something, 3,000 or something gods, I think. They're part of that. And a lot of that, I look at it and go, man, that just sounds and feels very demonic in that Mm -hmm. that sense. And so um, the Exodus story in particular is God like saying, hey, like, I know that all these other gods are who the Egyptians worship and I don't want you to worship them. I want to get you, I want to call you out of that and away from that yeah. into worshiping me as the one true God. And that is kind of a theme throughout the Old Testament. Israel continually drifted and tried to worship other gods. And God continually said, come back to me because mm-hmm. I'm the only true God, capital mm-hmm. G. And I think that is, in essence, spiritual warfare that you see in the Old Testament. I think Exodus, as I was reading through it, um, that passage, Pharaoh, th- this was a little T truth against big T truth. Yeah. yeah. In a way. Yeah. Pharaoh, the Pharaoh was believed to be God. Yeah. He was, and that's even he true. was the divine nature of the land. Mm-hmm. And this was God's people having to say, no, mm-hmm. God is God. You are not God. And you do not dictate who we worship, when we worship, how we worship. Yeah. You you may enslave us, you may abuse us, but the truth is the truth. And yeah. little T truth cannot overtake the big T truth of who God is. Yeah. And that that the spiritual warfare is the people, uh the Israelite people really had to choose, am I gonna succumb and just say that, you know, Pharaoh's God and yeah. not be beaten and not be abused and not be enslaved, or am I gonna stand on the principles that I know to be true and be willing to take the risk of of the fight? And, you know, 
spiritual warfare and that looks like physical altercation or physical abuse or or something of that nature. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, I mean, and this is really probably throwing, a, you know, open a can of worms to a certain degree, but the children were oppressed for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. literally in Egypt. But one of the things that was most affront, and when a lot of this comes out, is Pharaoh was seeing how um, powerful and how the children of Israel were multiplying yeah. so much. So he issues this decree that the male children are to be killed. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, this is so against God's law and so against what God wants. And so, yeah. like, there was oppression that was there. It happened for a long time, but it really kind of was a, a line drawn in the sand about this little G God mm-hmm. making this thing about I am going to kill God's people and God rises up, mm-hmm. you know, in that moment and says, no, you're not. Yeah. Like, I will not allow this. Yeah. It, it's not too far-fetched to see. I know yesterday on campus there was the yeah. uh, pro-life and and uh, pro-choice protest that was going on on Ped Walkway. And, and yeah. uh, I wanted to sneak over there, but I had my kids with me, so I didn't think that would be the greatest thing for them to see. True. But to stand up on capital T truth of what the Bible says about life and and who people are created after and, and who you carry uh, in your soul you're going to take some heat for that. And to not succumb to that means that you're going to be called names. You're going to be called bigoted. You're going to be called sexist. You're going to be called a lot of things that come down to the enemy wanting to take, just beat you down over and over and over until either you change your mind or just give up the fight altogether and you're no longer a threat. And I think that's so prevalent in our churches in many ways. I feel like, you know, a lot of people have not given over to follow Satan necessarily, Mm -hmm. but they've given up the fight because they realize whenever it gets really to the point of people are making life or death decisions to follow Jesus Christ, it heats up a little bit. Spiritual warfare has a tendency because Satan does not want to give up ground. He doesn't want people to be saved. That's the ultimate thing. And so it always heats up in those moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the particular Exodus story because I think that there's so many little aspects of it that we can gloss over and glaze over, especially in terms of like spiritual warfare. Because, I mean, if you just look at the plagues, you're like, wow, that's weird that God sent frogs and then two different kinds of bugs. And then, right, you, know, you just like, think they're random, but they're not. Right. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, we can, we can miss in God showing his judgment on Israel just how merciful he was being. Because, like, if, like, put yourself in the shoes of the Egyptian that was worshiping that that particular idol that just got basically squashed Mm -hmm. you know you have to really reframe what you believe at this point Mm -hmm. and say okay what hang on a minute what's actually going on here it's it's not i don't think that that's the most powerful thing anymore i think there's little aspects to it like that Mm -hmm. one thing in particular that i wanted to point out is um god's ability to work incredible good in the midst of a horrible event that occurs and much like you know the israelites are sitting there and expanding and expanding expanding and he Pharaoh issues this decree to kill all the male children. Well, Moses is the only one that escapes that. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of Moses being the only one that escapes that, he then is raised under the nose of the Pharaoh in his own household. Mm-hmm. It's like almost a direct, like, you think you can clean out all my people because you're so powerful. I'll show you that the very one that you sought to kill yeah. is going to clean you out <laughs> yeah. the other way, right? And... I love that, like, not only is he saying, you may think you're powerful, I'll show you that my power lasts far longer than even you being alive is going to handle, and shows all the plagues, all the things that occur there, and then leads them out, 
and not even ending there, but there's this whole series about like, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and Pharaoh's heart was not hardened and it was hardened. It was not hardened. And then it talks about like, he hardened it. No, it was hardened. And then it, the language gets funky around that. And then there's this whole Exodus portion where it says that people are led by an angel. And so we have to deal with all sorts of aspects of that. And protected by an angel. I mean, this is where we get Passover. Yeah. Just the protection of the angel, which is symbolic of Christ coming too. I mean, the blood was spread over the doorposts, like uh, uh, over the cross, you know I mean? So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of symbolism. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Rich, rich symbolism of the battle that was going on, the protection of the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Can we bring up as they get out on the Exodus, they're delivered, they're... They're set free by God in this miraculous, you know, spreading of the sea and, you know, protection and pillars and and, and just amazing things. And we want to take it as spiritual warfare, but it's not. They start infighting. They grumble. This grumble, this (laughs) fighting of, I wish it was better. And then they have factions going against each other. And they're they're totally taking their eyes off what God did. And I can see some of them, this is the enemy attacking. No, this is you being... That. Selfish people yeah. who can't get past yourself. <laughs> yeah. This is not That's spiritual true. warfare. This is you being selfish. <laughs> yeah. The infighting is causing you to go against the glory of God. And, and it's just it's hilarious, sad to see because it yeah. you, know, oh, you, it you can look at every church that's ever been. Infighting it, it takes down churches. It splits churches so many times. And it's not spiritual warfare. It's just people not Dying to themselves. Yeah. Well, how much does the Bible talk about submission? Oh, goodness. And yeah. how much we are sub- supposed Don't to submit. Don't say that word. Well, we're supposed <laughs> to submit to God first and foremost, but the Bible also mentions a lot of times us submitting to one another. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and a husband and wife submitting to one another and um, positions of authority submitting. You know, there's all this kind of stuff that goes into that, which is difficult because yeah. we are rebellious. It's oh, kind of yeah. what we want to do. I love that imagery of you know this this humble submission because i think that when we look at the the major prophets that were like oh my gosh they are so cool and but we always want the elijah fire on the hill moments but we forget like the amount of submission and obedience that was at play Mm -hmm. years before that took place you know Mm -hmm. Okay, so what what about other texts? We could sit on Exodus all day long. But <laughs> what about already, I think, into prophets. We can talk yeah. about prophets and kings, and I think there were definitely battles. It was often symbolic, not symbolic, it was often real between countries. Mm-hmm. But again, I want to draw it back to little g, small g. Like so many times, and the reason God even gave them the land was because he's like, the people who are living in the land are not honoring me. They're not yeah following me they're not worshiping me they're worshiping idols they're doing things that i find heinous and so god wanted them the israelites to follow him to take over and to show this is what it really looks like to be in a loving relationship with a god that loves you and has your best in in mind and that happened over and over again you know the kings they kind of would allow other things to be worshipped and didn't really you know stick with god and the prophets were continually saying don't worship other gods stop Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 What about funky stories like when Saul went to see the necromancer in in, uh, 2 Samuel? I think it's 2 Samuel. Well, again, the temptation is to follow something, to get our guidance and to follow something that isn't God. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I don't know. (laughs) 
this is funky. You're talking funky. I think it's funky that there are people that have maybe the ability to see in future and they have these certain kind of powers or gifts. I don't know. And God doesn't really necessarily address them, but what he does address are his people following what those people say mm-hmm. over his people following what he says. Yeah. And that's Saul's sin in that moment. Is Saul's like, hey, so I don't know what to do. I'm not going to pray to God. I'm going to go see a witch and mm-hmm. see if she can tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even going so far as to call up, you know, Elisha back from the grave to say, or Samuel to say, like, what's going on? You know, like, what's up? (laughs) Why do we not follow God? Why do we work so hard sometimes not to follow God and follow something else? And you could almost hear Saul justifying it. Well, I went to, I I may have used the wrong method, but I I was doing the right thing. I was trying to do the right thing. I was trying to do the right thing by the wrong method. Um, And I've never had a college student or anyone tell me they went to go see a necromancer. Or, or a medium. And I know I know they're prevalent. And yeah, I know you get in different parts of the country, different world, and, and you you can hear those things. Go to New Orleans. You can have your palm You can have your palm read. Um, or your cards read. But let's not... How many students have we talked to that, maybe not wholeheartedly, but dabble in astrological signs yeah. and, and reading fortunes and different things? It, it's no different, really. Yeah. You're trying to be... You're impatient with the pace that God has, yeah, yes. and you're trying to find different avenues. Even though you're trying to find God's will or what's for your life, you're using the wrong method to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's constantly saying, it's got to be me and only me. Yeah. He's a jealous guy. Yeah. And it's funny, if you read Galatians 5, sorcery is put in the work of the flesh. Yeah. Which, is the, which right after that, is the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. It means the antithesis to where the spirit wants us to go. Yeah. And sorcery is a part of that. And and talking to mediums or fortune tellers or palm, it, mm-hmm. it is what it is. You can call it something fancy, but it's just, it's dabbling in, in demonic areas that you don't want to be. Yeah. What about stuff like when we see Saul prompted by an evil spirit to kill David? What do you think about dealing with that? Anytime I think you've got things that are going against God's law, it's going to be evil. Let's take it. I mean, that's one of our basic Ten Commandments, you know, is not to murder. But you have a temptation to murder. You have basically Satan given an invitation and probably the justification. You know, this is treason. This is a threat to your throne. You can just hear all the lies that Satan is kind of spewing to get Saul to justify going against what God has said in his law not to do. And I mean, we kind of do the same sometimes when we listen to things. Is mm-hmm. You're justified. You know, we all the time justify ourselves. And you're like, but if that's against God's law, there is no justification for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is why the Bible is so clear. Test yeah. the Spirit. Yeah. yeah. Test it. If, yeah. if you think the Holy Spirit's calling you to do something, and it's not in the Bible, and it doesn't glorify the Lord, it's not a good spirit. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no... Big, long explanation. We were just mm-hmm. talking about this. There doesn't have to be a paragraph. There doesn't have to be a, an article written about it. If it doesn't glorify God, it's not of God. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's one or the other. Yeah. And uh, and we're, I mean, we're going to get to the New Testament eventually, too. But you have the same <laughs> thing. You have, you, have the, you have the same thing when it, you know Judas is sitting there and Jesus, and they're talking, yeah. and it says that after they've you know had the foot washing and they've had the Passover meal, all that stuff together, it says that... 
the an evil spirit entered Judas, so he went off to betray. So what you're thinking, what I'm thinking is like definitely Judas has already gotten his head. Like I should betray Jesus. I should probably do this. Mm-hmm. This is worth some money. This is worth something. Some people think it'll force his hand again, yeah. trying not God's timing, but my own. All these kind of things going on, but you know that that's this spiritual warfare temptation that was going on within him, and he made the decision. I'm going to follow, yeah, Satan, and not follow, yeah. Christ. Since you breached the door on that, I can, you can't let that go. Yeah. Like the the spirit entering Judas, the demon entering Judas, that was not step one. That was probably step twenty. Yeah. And Judas is right. This yeah. is a this is a slow progression. Yeah. This isn't something that happened all of a sudden. You gotta remember Judas had the Son of God around him all the time. And these were the at night conversations with himself. These were the little things that he was allowing himself to start thinking about the Son of God and what he thought was right. This yeah. wasn't step one. This was a yeah. progression of him opening himself up to allow this to happen. Yeah. And I think it's particularly interesting that it didn't happen until he left the presence of, the, of Jesus. Absolutely. And so I, I think that that is a very significant thing because we like to look at that passage isolated and it very starkly says in several places in the gospel like this dude had been stealing money yeah for three years yeah. out of jesus's pocket right. you know and it's like not he it wasn't like oh, i'm just gonna have my my day where i'm gonna be good <laughs> yeah. and he's like no this guy hasn't been good like off the jump you know that maybe they didn't realize it then but with getting back to back, they seeing to it see back it. they're like oh my gosh yeah. This is what's really going on. So, hard passage, Old Testament, Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel. Oh my, what do we do? <laughs> it's hard to get into Daniel without having some kind of eschatological view, which means view of the end time. Yes. you, you got to have something there, and everyone's got different opinions, and we all agree Jesus is coming back, and that's, that's where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, God allows things to happen for the betterment of his people, even though it may be hard. You know, God doesn't have to justify the ends and the means because everything that God does is holy. Mm-hmm. And we see Daniel 7, the, the wicked empires. We say, God, this is oppressive on your people. Why are you allowing this to happen? When ultimately we know through the Babylonians, through the Persians, through the Greeks, through the Romans, great things occurred in those times that only could have happened if those empires were in charge. Mm-hmm. And God used those horrible things that the enemy used at the same time, but God's use was greater. And we know just simply, you know, the Roman Empire, awful empire, persecution that we've never experienced. Right. But what did they do? God used them to build roads to take the gospel all over the world. Yeah. That You know, God used something that was tragic and awful and horrible to his people to advance the kingdom. And, you know, it's one of those things that we have to take Isaiah 55 as words that God's ways are above our ways. Yes. Oh, so much true. And what I think about through that is like how many times God's people are oppressed yes. or live under um, opposition. And it, I mean, you think about that in modern day times too. You think about the areas where the church is growing very rapidly. It's often in places where the government is against Christians. I yeah. mean, it really just is. Why? Because it maybe helps us to know what we're really truly made of. Mm-hmm. It really helps mm-hmm. us discern who we're serving and who we're doing. And sometimes in times of prosperity and times of good stuff going on, which we've talked about prosperity gospel on this podcast too, like in those times, we have a tendency not to worry about following God because why? We're so blessed. Everything's going so great. Why would we worry about following God? Yeah. And so God allows those times of testing 
those times of purification to, to maybe, you know, separate people so that they know their thoughts and that they know who they're really truly following because it isn't just easy. Yeah. And I wonder how much of what we see as like conflict in the U S yeah. right now is just our eyes getting changed to see what we should sure. really be looking at. Yeah, sure. But your original question was about Daniel, and I'll yeah. take that in. I'll lump Revelation into that, too. We love apocalyptic yeah. literature because it's sensational, and it's picturesque. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you can see the beast. You can see, you know, like, mm-hmm. you see these scary big things, uh, which is kind of a Hollywood version, too. I mean, this is yeah. often where Hollywood gets their kind of version of things. And what I want to boil that down to in all those moments in Old Testament, New Testament, there is a battle that is going on, and this is yeah. the warfare part. There is a battle. Uh, a lot of times it's for your soul and on the inside of you, but there is one that I think is, you know, in a world that we can't see, mm-hmm. is what I would say. And so we have to be aware of that. I think a good Christian who's not a naive Christian is aware of that battle, of the aware of battle for people's souls. Um, we know who wins. But at the same time, we should be aware of that. And that guides us oftentimes in how we pray. Yeah. And so in Daniel, he's noted yeah, so much Daniel for his not. prayers. Like, like when it gets hard, what do I do? I go to God. When I don't know this dream, what do I do? I go to God. When I don't know what's going on with my country that I'm trying to serve or the king that I'm trying to serve, what I do, I go to God. And so continually, Daniel gives us that picture of like, if you want to know what's really going on, don't trust your eyes for all the things that are out yeah. there, but trust your prayer life with God for him to, to direct you, to let you know. And I, I love, and I'll throw in too, I love this where the prophet and his uh, servant are there and the, and the prophet's like, Hey, there's so many more of us here than, than what you oh, see. Yeah. And he's like, I'm counting. I can count with my eyes and mm-hmm. we're not winning. Yeah. And so, you know, he, he prays and he says, God, let him see. And he mm-hmm. looks and he's like, Oh my goodness. Like there's this whole other world that mm-hmm. I'm not aware of. And suddenly he gets it. So I think that's typically that picture of Revelation and uh, Daniel in those moments. There's a world we don't see, but we should be very aware of it. And I think you could take Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You tie that in with Paul, which is run the race with endurance. Go to the finish. You know that oppression is going to come. You know the enemy is going to want you to stop. Things are going to be thrown at you if you're doing what's right for the kingdom. You know, the Lord Jesus even says, pick up your cross, take your instrument of suffering and live a life as I've lived life. But this idea of endurance, this idea of getting to the end, no matter what trial, no matter what tribulation comes along, we get stuck in the oppression instead of there is there's this hope. God is God's not going to say endure, but not give you the resources. Mm -hmm. You look at the world, man, you look at the fastest growing church in the world right now is in, in Iran. Yeah. That's crazy. One of the the most oppressed nations in the mm-hmm. world and the church is flourishing underground, but flourishing. Yeah. China, Afghanistan, you know, mm-hmm. Pakistan, India, the church yeah. is going nuts. But and we've heard interviews, especially Afghanistan, and you read martyr stories of if my death causes others to do something great for God, it's worth it. Yeah. They know. That my endurance through whatever the enemy can throw at me, if it can grow the kingdom, it's a hundred percent worth it. That that's what those are huge statements in endurance. Yeah, hundred percent. So where does that leave us when we head toward the New Testament? So think about 
because we get all kinds of stories dealing with spiritual warfare, especially through the Gospels where Jesus is either dealing with a demon-oppressed person or he's dealing with talking about this is how, you know, at the end of the time when everything's said and done, I'm going to send my angels and they'll sort and go from there and some will yeah. go to heaven, some will get burned up. You know, how does that play out? So one of the stories in particular that I had a student ask me is, could you go over the story of Legion? And, uh, excuse me, in the New Testament. I am, um, if there's anything that happened in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, you see the personalization of the spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. Before it's like, I'm trying to get my nation to follow me, and I don't want my nation to follow and worship other gods. And in the New Testament, you suddenly see individuals and individual stories about Jesus caring mm-hmm. about the individual. And Legion is definitely one of those. There's one, you know, this gentleman who can't even live in society. He's not even able to live in society. And Jesus delivers him from that, mm-hmm. takes him out of that situation. Multiple times in Mark, um, people are, demons are driven out. And what happens? A person becomes whole. Mm-hmm. A person becomes a follower of Christ. They're able to leave that oppression behind and they follow after Jesus. And we see that on a personal level, kind of over and over again. I think the really interesting thing about this too, I mean, this is just, yeah, for the, for the extra thing, is like over and over again in Mark, we have the Messianic secret, which a lot of people are confused by that. And they're like, why does Jesus let some people tell who he is and then other people he doesn't? <laughs> well, one thing you'll notice is the demons all know who Jesus is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Immediately they're like, Jesus, son of God, what do you want with me? You know, like, <laughs> They're terrified. And specifically the Gerasene demoniac, that definitely comes out. He's like, Jesus. you know. <laughs> and so they know who Jesus is, but Jesus doesn't allow the demons to proclaim who he is to followers. Yeah, he tells them to hush. He, he come out of him, be quiet. You know that kind of deal. But he allows people who are followers of Jesus to proclaim who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those people, he didn't tell them to be silent. He allowed them to proclaim yeah. who he was. And that's actually what he told this gentleman. After the demons are driven out, he tells this gentleman, "Like return to mm-hmm. your home and tell people how good the Lord has been to you." I think it's uh, imagine knowing the Old Testament and seeing messianic prophecy come true. Yeah. Uh, the first messianic prophecy we have is, is Genesis chapter 3 mm-hmm. where the one who's going to come is going to step on the head of the serpent and you're like okay so you're waiting all of these years and you're never going to see him but eventually Jesus comes and you start seeing him deliver people from demons you're like wait a second this yeah. is yeah. what was talked about thousands and thousands of years ago no one's ever done this before and uh, you know the this the, this demon that everyone has been afraid of this guy who lives on the outskirts of town who's tearing yeah. chains apart this man is fearlessly standing in front of him and then Hollywood kind of takes over right because you're you're throwing holy water and you're holding up a cross and you're <laughs> screaming and yelling and w- what we see in scripture is Jesus is just talking there is no raising of voice there is no <laughs> yeah. screaming and yelling there is no theatrics about it it's just Jesus conversating back and forth and finally just says get out and and i think you know we we've just got so wrapped up in the theatrics of it the demon had no chance yeah and he knew he had no chance to the fact he said put me in some pigs you know put me yeah. in the lowest form of yeah. of yeah. of creature there is in the world at that time and and don't don't annihilate me yet and um and you see that and just the peace that had to come with that of something that Pharisees couldn't do, of the religious yeah. elite can do, Sadducees, all these people who were supposed to be the end-all, be-all of religiosity. And Jesus just says, no, you're done. 
And it would just be amazing that yeah. comfort that would go, oh wow, that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's new. Yeah. yeah, and I think I like that it also points out that when the demon responds to Jesus, he he knows his time is limited. Yes. Yeah. And somehow we like try and wipe that away when we try and deal with anything spiritual. It's like we, we like to say we ha- we have so much time. We have all this time in the world. And well, and let's I mean let's get real. We're a modern world now, mm. and we're not comfortable in America talking about demon possession or anything like that. Yeah. And, and there's been a a huge attempt by people, scholars, and others to look at the Bible and for each of the things that the Bible calls demon possession for them to say it's a disease or it was this or that and yeah. to explain it away because it's just like the screw tape letters, you know, like mm-hmm. if I can get them not to believe yeah. that they're demons, then I can, you know, then there's no, yeah, yeah. the enemy has a chance, has more of a chance to, to, to lie and steal. And yeah. so I think we have to watch that, but I've been thinking while you were saying that I, ha- I haven't watched the chosen series very much, but there was one episode that I've got <laughs> one and it was the one where he actually drives a demon out of somebody. And what's funny is that the, the church guy, and I don't know if it was Nicodemus or whoever, but he prays and then he hears that the woman is delivered, that the demon is gone. And he actually thinks it's himself. For a while. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, he didn't know anything to do, but just pray. So he just, he does it and he didn't think it worked and it didn't work. But in the meantime, she bumps into Jesus. He takes everything away. Yeah. He actually thinks it's him. Yeah. And I think that's so much us. <laughs> I thought that was such a good like way to do that. It's like, I did something. I was a part of that. And you're like, yeah. no, no, you aren't. No, yeah. it was Jesus. And <laughs> we need to acknowledge that it was Jesus all yeah. along. You know? And what you what you bring up because I I've seen the first episode of the Chosen, and it, I think it's Mary Magdalene who they portray as. Yeah, is it of, that may have been it? The first I think episode. I think it was. I, I think it was. But I, I remember that that they try to say it's it's some kind of psychological spell or something yeah. of, of that nature. Not you know, and we live in a world where. Mental health is a, is a huge issue. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you don't, I, I'm not discrediting that. I've dealt with that. I know tons of people who deal with mental health. But that's one of those where maybe we're not giving the credit where credit is due. Maybe it is not a mental health issue. It is a heart issue. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about um, deliverance ministries and different things like that. Not everything is demonic. Not everything is mental health. And sometimes we blur the lines Sure. And we over-medicate or under-medicate. And there's so many different questions because you don't want to be offensive towards people. But sometimes it's it's not a mental health issue. Sometimes it's a spiritual issue that people just need to deal with. And and the enemy puts things in your life. And, and God allows those things either to learn dependence upon him or it's just a broken world. And, and we have to learn to deal with those things. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is part one of two on spiritual warfare. So if you've got the time, jump over to that second episode right now. It should be releasing at the same time so you don't have to wait a whole week. Woo! Special edition. We're super excited about that. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, do all the things to connect to all the people. The more people this can get to, the more people can hear about the goodness and the truth that's in the Bible that informs our daily lives. We love you so much. Catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye.